Hello and welcome to another episode of Movies That Make Us. I'm Jake. I'm Tracy. And I'm Belle. Belle's She's back. back. <laughs> <Hey>. She's back. <laughs> Apologize. Um, my neighbors are doing some construction on their house. So that means there are people outside and my dogs are going a little bit crazy. So I'm going to I'm gonna try and keep that on the down low. But dogs. Yeah. Dogs are going to do what dogs do. You can't really. Yeah. So that's, that's great. I mean, it, you know, we'll work with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's great. Like, yeah, that's fantastic. It's not necessarily fantastic. No, but we'll I'll try and it. mute as as much as I can. But yeah, dogs. <laughs> well, it is so great to have you back, Val. Obviously, the show goes better when all three of us are here. But we we've hit. <laughs> what's also great? It's been the last couple of weeks not having you here. What's been really good is that you've been out traveling, which is awesome because mm-hmm. we're at a point where that's something that is easier, more accessible, and safer to do. Than it has been for the last year or so. And so it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah so. I, you know, something that um, me and my fiance decided at uh, the beginning, well, I guess I spring is that we decided that once a month during the summer is we would get in our cars and go somewhere. I love that. Um, and because I really like experiences, he really likes traveling. Um, and so we've been doing that. I don't know that all the places that I've gone, I would return to because there is people out there. There, yeah. are people, there are people everywhere. And I, like, I went to Vegas with my friend Yen, and it was like, I was very happy with all the people that were wearing masks. There were a lot of people wearing masks, but there were so many people. And it was yeah. like 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I want to go back. Oh, wait, I am going back there to see Bill Burr um, yeah. for the 4th of July weekend. But um, <laughs> maybe it'll cool <laughs> off by then. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm just, I'm going to be watching bill burr and then we're heading out the next morning but but no it's really it's really cool to get out there um and travel and do some things um and i do like that a lot of people are doing it responsibly um but i think people are just so happy to be out and i'm so happy to see people in the movie theaters because i've been to see a lot of movies lately i get to see black widow this week and i get to see fast and furious this week so um i'm super excited um yeah, it's just I'm so happy about movie theaters right now. Yeah, we, my wife and I went and saw In the Heights last weekend, and it was great because it almost felt like the before times. And it, you know, there were people in the theater, there was cheering, and there was clapping, and I was like, yeah, this is what I've missed. So, mm-hmm. um, but but there were also. What was nice is when we bought our tickets, the two seats on either side of us were X'd out so people couldn't buy them. So, like, for me, it's the best of both worlds. I want people in yep. the theater, but I don't want but you people don't want in the theater, like, on top of me or next to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I did think that that movie was about um, 35, 40 minutes too long. Really? I, I feel like, I know I really enjoyed it, but I feel like it was the diehard of musicals. It was like, we're going to write 42 songs and we're going to use 42 songs. <laughs> we are going to put everything in here that we've ever wanted to put in a musical, every kind of dance move, every kind, we're walking up walls, we're dancing in pools, where it's like every musical, everything was in there. Yeah. I did enjoy it. It was a very enjoyable movie, but. Yeah, I think they even cut two or three songs from the Broadway. It didn't seem like it. Yeah, it, it is a long movie. It's a long movie. So yeah, but, but going to it. the theaters is is great, and and people need to go out. We need 
we need people back in the theaters if you feel safe and and I think more and more people are. I know when yeah. I go out to the store or I go any place, there are definitely more and more people that are feeling safe to be out. And I agree with like going someplace crowded, you need to be prepared for that because we yeah. haven't been in big crowds of people for a long time, but like even theme parks on both coasts now are at 100% mm-hmm. capacity. You need to be it it takes some preparation to feel like comfortable with that again because you're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of people. But I think it'll take us less time to get used to being around a lot of people than it did to get used to not being around a lot of right. people. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But, um, and speaking of that, we're going to be around each other soon. Yes. Yay! Yes. Our our biggest theme for July is togetherness. I don't know if that's really a theme. Except <laughs> should, that it be, should it be, should we talk about all movies where people come back together that have been separated? We I'm could do that. that. There's I'm plenty of them that. out there. We could talk about yeah. Each of us yeah. pick one. Yeah. That'd like be, that. that'd okay. be fun. All right. Because I think that's going to be a theme for a lot of people this summer. And so I think that's a great thing. But yes, next week we will be recording in the same room together. Um, We we had kind of teased doing that this week, but we had another commitment that came up right before our normal recording time that um, you guys have to check out uh, Matinee Heroes next week as we recast all of the Lord of the Rings. Oh my gosh. When that list came in, I was like, oh my gosh, that is a lot of people to recast. Cause usually he, he caps it. He caps the number, but with Lord of the Rings, like how do you cap it at seven? Yeah. Yeah. I could have, but you know, and and I think my favorite moment was when we sat down getting ready to record and they said, you know, let's see if we can keep this under two and a half, three hours. (laughs) Val's look. Well, first he said seven hours and he was joking, but still we were like, uh, that wasn't. So we, we took on the challenge and we got it under two. I think my episode with him, which was the first one. Yeah. I think it was like two and a half hours. I do think we went, we went went really long. Yeah. Yeah. mine, Mine was pretty long too. And, yeah, if you guys haven't checked it out, Matinee Heroes this month, we each did an episode on one of the Lord of the Rings movies. Val did Fellowship of the Ring. I did Two Towers. Tracy, your episode just came out this morning as we're recording this, uh, Return of the King. Yep. Um, so you guys got to check that out. And then next Saturday will be the big recasting that they're doing. So um, it was fun. I I had more fun recasting it than I thought I would. But yeah. There mm-hmm. were definitely some challenging picks. It so. was intimidating because that cast yeah. – so good. Yeah. It, well, when we talk about movies that make us, like for me, mm-hmm. I mean, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. I know a lot, well, a lot of people like The Hobbit movies, but I do. But Lord of the Rings is just, it's up there. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, totally. I agree. And we need we we need to do our own episodes on Lord of the Rings, and we need to, but we we got to plan that do out. Do we? We got, we got Larry. Well, not like now. right now, Val. We just did three episodes. I was thinking. So in like down the road. Year, yeah. Next not, year with, with our friend, Larry Curtis. Yeah. We got to get Larry on when we do that. He's got so many great stories. Cause he was there as they were shooting these movies. Right, so yeah. Right. yeah, that might be a three hour episode. It might be one that we break into three episodes, like record yeah. it all at once. Like we'll do it like the movies. We'll record it all at once and then split yeah, it into three go. different episodes. Yeah. Um, but speaking of big movies, we're doing a, I think this is as big as it gets as far as like name, when you say the name of the film that we're talking about today, everybody kind of, oh yeah, I mean, they've at least heard of it. It's up there. Uh Um, so we're talking about Citizen Kane today and, and we did this kind of back to back with Paddington because of the whole story that was about a month ago that Citizen Kane, they unearthed, uh, a review from a reviewer that was a negative review and that brought them down from their hundred percent on rotten tomatoes. And then 
that put Paddington 2 in the number one spot as the Mm -hmm. best reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes with the most reviews and 100%. Uh, But since then, because we're slow on getting this stuff out sometimes, since then it's been dethroned. And and the number one, I, I was looking, trying to figure it out, and I think the number one right now was Toy Story 2. Which I'm okay with that. That can. I actually, there. I actually agree with that pick a lot. Yeah, I that's that four was really good, but and a lot of people really say three's better, but to me two is the yeah. To me best. two is is well, the best one. I just remember when two came out because Toy Story was so um, revolutionary, I guess, as far as mm-hmm. animation goes, because it was mm-hmm. the first computer animated movie that that made it big and that was really good, and it was like, how do you top that? And when Toy Story yeah. 2 came out, it was like, oh, you top it by yeah. making the animation better and the story better and just everything better. And, and then it's fine. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that might be the first just rip your heart out. Um, yeah. Pixar film. Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it and we should just spend some we should do an episode on Toy Stories. Yeah. Um, but there were so many things that happened um, with Toy Story that changed the course of storytelling mm-hmm. and animation for all animated pictures um, and and just movie telling in general, because I would really like Toy Story or any of the Toy Stories to win um, outside of an animation category, because I think the acting and the writing Mm -hmm. is right up there, um, you know, with, with that. I, I I feel very, yeah, I feel strongly about the Toy Stories for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. But we're not talking about Toy Stories on this episode, even though we just... <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I, you guys are going to hate me. I don't think we will. I won't. Okay. I, I know... Okay, and we've talked I'm about this. Disappointed. I, <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be the first time. So, <laughs> Citizen Kane is one of those movies that I think if you're into movies, you need to see it at least once right. because of how big an impact it's had on movies going forward. Um, but we'll talk about whether or not that means that you have to enjoy watching it over and over again. And so let's, let's talk about Citizen Kane. When we talk about this, Tracy, I said a lot of people will say this is the greatest movie ever made. And you always kind of slowly raise your hand up when you say that. Mm -hmm. Why would you say that this is the greatest movie ever made? So not that I'm saying that's such a controversial thought, by the way, I'm just asking. It's, it's, It's not the most entertaining film, even though it is very entertaining. It is not a popcorn flick at all. But especially when you know the history of this movie and what Wells and his cinematographer, Greg Toland did um, along with, with just the whole story, you've got the, you've got this movie written about a media conglomerate of William Randolph Hearst. You've got, you you know, you're making kind of his life story without his permission. Um, There are, then you add in the, the groundbreaking cinematography. This is the first film that really shot with really wide lenses and got deep focus. Um, a lot of those scenes are just, you, you can pull a still frame from this and hang it up on a wall. I mean, it's just gorgeous cinematography. Um, first, one of the first films to show ceilings, um, the, the amount of, of craziness that Wells had to do, he got full permission to, to make the movie how he wanted at first. And then later started to lose that and the amount of trickery. And we can get into that. The amount of things he had to do to keep the studio off his back, the fact that this movie got just destroyed by the by the media ran, run by William Randolph Hearst, it could have just faded into obscurity and it was rediscovered. Um, just there are so many reasons why 
on a on a technical aspect, on a filmmaking aspect, as a historical aspect. Um, this one is to me. It, I've seen this probably more times than just about any other film. Um, a lot of that is because I taught film for 10, 11 years and I would always, I dedicated an entire week to Citizen Kane and it was really fun because a lot of the kids were like, yeah, I've heard of it. Meh. And it's black and white. And one of my classes was in the morning. It started at seven thirty in the morning. So that's tough for college kids. But um, the majority of them afterwards were like, okay, I respect that film. I understand why it's so great. Yeah. So you you brought up the William Randolph Hearst bit, right? Which Mm -hmm. Orson Welles basically went to his grave claiming that it was not based on (laughs) William Randolph Hearst. That there were a couple of things that they kind of cherry-picked out of his life to put in the film, but that by and large it was not meant to be about Hearst. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, looking into the kind of the background on it, um, you know, that's the claim the official claim, right? right? And and Hearst believed because someone had said that it was that it that it was based on his life. So he he never I don't even there, think he ever saw it. I don't think so. But Herman Mankiewicz, the the screenwriter, actually lived on Hearst's property in a guest house for several for, for quite a while. Yeah. Um, there, there there there's there's a lot of stuff. I don't think it's entirely based on Hearst, but I do not believe that this is just, Oh, well, there were a couple of things like, right. I think they knew what they were doing. They were trying to poke the bear and they got the bear response. Well, one of the weirdest supposed connections to Hearst is, is the Rosebud connection right. that mm-hmm. is claimed that I think Mankiewicz is the that one, that, one that makes that one the is claim a little out there for me. Yeah. yeah. For those that don't know, the rumor is, is that Rosebud is the nickname of a piece of, uh, or a, a part of his girlfriend's anatomy. Yeah. So Which, yeah, that one's, that one's out there for me. I don't yeah. know that that would actually be the case. Yeah. Um, in this movie, it's just a sled. So right. <laughs> spoilers. If you haven't right seen, spoilers. if you, you haven't seen see citizen Kane, I mean, it's been out for a while, so we are going to spoil <laughs> it. Just. Yeah. Do you guys know who owns? Rosebud? No. No. Steven Spielberg. Oh, oh, like he owns the actual prop. He owns the actual Rosebud sled. Hmm. Uh, it is believed to be the only one that survived. All the others got thrown into the fire and burned. Um, but there was allegedly one left, and that is owned by Steven Spielberg, which talk about cinema grail. Holy crap. I wonder if it's in his house here. It wouldn't surprise me. I'll go yeah. check it out, but there's, you know, some next time you're work. hanging out with Steven, you'll check it out. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't know that he had it, Val. <laughs> you and Steven yeah. are so close. Yeah. yeah. So close as in I look through his windows and then I get arrested. I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't do that. No, That's not how I don't. feel about celebrities. Um, <laughs> I like no. that you always make a weird stalkery comment and then follow it up with just kidding. I'm not really like that. Like I don't really want to put Tom Holland in my backpack, but no, that would be fun, but I would get his permission first. Yeah. Like I wouldn't just throw him in there willy nilly and like run away. That's kidnapping. Consent is key. Yeah. I mean, and it wouldn't be fun if he was struggling, right? It'd only be fun if he was like, and look over there and let's take a selfie. <laughs> 
be in like well, we gotta have an adventure together I, I don't like people to be around me that don't want to be around me yeah like, that's not fun at all no that's a good you know? point that's like every day for me and so i would rather just hang out with people that want to hang out with me um no i so the thing about this movie is, you know, and we say this a lot, like Tracy and I have both been to film school. So if you've been to film school or you've been in a film class or whatever, like this is one of the movies that, you know, I think every film school or film class, they have you study for very good reasons. And for mm-hmm. that, I say I do respect it. When I went to film school at USC, we spent almost three weeks on it. And right. then we had to write like a dissertation on how we think the things in the film have um, manifested other things in the film industry, right? And so there are a lot of things in this movie, um, just like a lot of James Cameron movies, and I'll say that because not a lot of people love all the James Cameron movies, but they respect what those movies have done for filmmaking. And, And to me, I think this is basically in that same vein is that there were so many things that were done in this film that, that were ballsy. I'm just going to say it. They were super ballsy at the time for a filmmaker to do, especially Orson Welles. Like he doesn't shoot is he didn't shoot as much film as other filmmakers at the time, but he was lengthy in his Mm -hmm. filmmaking because he did want to experiment and try. It wasn't because um, he was, I think as what's the word I'm looking for. He was he wasn't a conceited filmmaker, right? but he wanted to experiment. He wanted to push the envelope. He wanted to see the farthest he could go. So he wasn't a Hitchcock, but he was almost as expensive. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do. Orson Welles to me is really fantastic. I haven't seen this movie in like 25 years, Mm. 25. And so I, I feel like my brain has switched gears about why I love filmmaking. I still respect a lot of things about this film, but it was really hard. I don't know that to me, a movie that stands up the test of time so that you don't have to explain it for somebody to really respect it and enjoy it um, says something. And I do think that this is one that an audience now, just the way that our brains have been, um, manipulated by our current technologies and how quick everything happens with all the zips and bangs and booms Mm -hmm. and all of that to watch this movie um, is very difficult unless you understand what's behind it. And so it took Mm -hmm. me a minute while I started watching it again to say, okay, I've got to switch over here. And Oh, remember the, like all the things that I had learned in film school. And I don't remember all of them. That was a long, long time ago. Um, But those things I respect. And again, like the cinematography, I'm right there with you. Like wow. you could, if you watch this film and you shut off all of the dialogue and you just freeze framed, you just freeze framed your TV, um, you would see something beautiful. And it, and we don't get it at the now of how, what big of a deal it was for the widescreen. Mm-hmm, you yeah. know, we don't, because we, I mean, we get that every day, whatever, you know, um, But at that time, if you really slow your brain down and you remember how hard it was to do that on film with these cameras, without, they didn't have all of the lighting and the tricks Mm -hmm. that we had. You really had to wait for that shot. You really had to have people that knew what they were doing um, to get the shots they did. Especially because to get that deep focus where the foreground, the midground, and the background are all in focus all at the same time, you've got characters and cameras moving in that space it requires a lot of light yeah the cameras were nowhere near as sensitive as they are now yeah so what they had to do is they had 
so many lights running off of a couple of generators. The best boy, who's the electrical guy, they actually paid a guy, and this is a true story, they paid a man to stand behind him with a two-by-four in case he started to get electrocuted, they could knock him out of <laughs> the way because they were so worried about how much energy I want that this job. Was, was doing. Um, if you see him starting to get electrocuted, you need to hit him you just real hard with this two-by-four. Val, right. he, Val, he's fine. Oh, sorry. I felt like it was sorry, I, I, thought I you saw a fly. Him. No, no, not. Um, yeah, like there, it's it was the things that they had to do, and it wasn't like they had a handbook Right. On, on, you know, this is what this person did in this movie. So let's try that. They right. were figuring it out on their own and they well, didn't have a screen where they could just play it back and watch it. Mm-hmm. Like they could have shot a whole day and thrown it in the trash because the things that they were trying to do weren't working, but they yeah. were working. And yeah. like, this was, I, I don't know if this is what you um, learned from this in your classes or what you told you you taught about this, but just the pull focus in general oh, yeah. um, is, I mean, the, fr- the opening of the movie, it's all pulled focus mm-hmm. and how to do that and um, create a different look on something that's not actually there, but you are manipulating with doing, the focus. Yeah. And they were doing compositing even back then, like they're shooting through glass in order to make backgrounds mm-hmm. and foregrounds. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot of what Disney did with animation. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's, it's tricking the eye to think that something's there. That's not there because right. they just have the, they didn't know how to do that yet. Well, the other thing that blows me away too, is this is Orson Welles first feature film. Yeah. Like to come yeah. in here <laughs> and to, to do what he did. And I, of course he had amazing talent. You know, Greg Toland, Herman Mankiewicz, he's set up for yeah. success. But, and the reason that Toland uh, volunteered to be the cinematographer is he said, I knew that you don't really know what you're doing. So you're going to allow me to do what I want to do. He's going to get to do Because you job. don't know better. I, <laughs> exactly. And so he's like, there's all this stuff I wanted to try, but I've never had the chance. And you're my ticket to be able to do that. And it worked out beautifully. And that's different than working on a Hitchcock movie because you could be a cinematographer, but you're not doing anything because Hitchcock, Mm -hmm. he had his hands in everybody's nonsense. He just loved to hear himself talk in every aspect of filmmaking. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. What was, what were your thoughts when you, because you, you didn't, and this is not a slight to you, but you haven't gone to film school. Listen, I know you guys bring it up all the time. You both went to film school. <laughs> I've never gone. No, it's it. better that you didn't. Our yeah. brains were ruined. So what, what, <laughs> and I've heard that from a lot of people that have gone to film school, that you just watch movies differently. And um, you, do. you gotta, you gotta get out of the film school mode. Yeah. For me, what was really interesting is I've seen a lot of older movies and I like a lot of older movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I often talk about Frank Capra is one of my favorite directors because yeah. I just really like a lot of the stuff that he's done. This felt so different than a lot of those older movies, even though it's from that same time frame. And part of, I think what felt different, you talked about the set pieces and things like that. There was a lot of the, the scenes where it just felt more real. When you watch a lot of older movies, mm-hmm. everything is on a set and it feels mm-hmm. like it's on a set. Like, even if you go back and watch It's a Wonderful Life, for example, the exterior shots are still on a set, and it feels like it's on a set for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this didn't feel I may that... be the only person that doesn't like that movie, but I don't like this That's okay. Life. No, there's a lot of people that don't That's like fine. it. I love that movie, but I understand there's a lot of people that don't, and I get why people don't like it. But 
just by comparison, when you watch it, it feels like everything is shot inside of a set. This one yes. didn't, and it felt more yes. modern. This felt more like a modern movie that was shot in black and white than mm-hmm. it felt like an old black and white movie. And I think that a lot of that had to do with what you guys were talking about, even though I, and you did bring up the ceilings and I know that that's a really big deal because he was the first one that showed ceilings on, on the set and everything. And some of them did look really, really fake. I'll be honest. There, there were some. Oh yeah. 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 But um, it, it was still by and large, I feel like it had more of a feel of a modern film than a lot of other films from that era do. And so, at the same time, didn't like Val said, like it doesn't go quick. Like a lot of the other, like a lot of our newer films do. I, I still find it. In, I, I love the story though. And I, I've, I've thought about this before. I would love to see like a really intelligent, really well thought out comparison between citizen Kane and the social network. Oh, yeah. Interesting, yeah. There's a lot there where you've got this ego driven character who's trying to, to build himself up. Um, and then his downfall, um, I, I think that that would be a really interesting kind of comparison with David Fincher. You should like yeah. lead that as a panel next year for our uh, remote con. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that would, would be, be really, really cool. cool. Okay. okay, done. I mean, you know you could get like Blake and mm-hmm. Craig and a bunch of people that have your same brain, oh, similar brain stuff. on there. Yeah. 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 But, that but would the, be awesome. The thing that's so great about this is – so you've got Orson Welles. He's 24 when he starts making this movie. He's a theater actor. He did, of course, the War of the Worlds, which just set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people thought that this was a real alien invasion um, because it was so well done. So RKO is the theater. Hang on. Let me move the cat there. Um, so RKO comes to him and a lot of film studios are coming to him saying, well, we want you to work for us. RKO is a small little company. They do not have a big backing. They're not MGM. They're not United Artists. And they say, we can give you something that nobody else will, and we'll give you full creative control, mm-hmm. which set Hollywood on fire. So many people were pissed that yeah. Orson Welles didn't have to go through all the things that they had to go through. They, they've been doing this for 20 years, and they still don't oh, have whatever. creative control. And so it's interesting because when this film – it was nominated for what eight or nine Academy Awards. It only won one, but every time it was mentioned during that broadcast, it was booed. Like yeah. a chorus of boos are coming down. So he's upset the Hollywood establishment. He's upset the media magna- mogul, and now it's kind of weird because we have these big conglomerates. You know, you've got Disney, you've mm-hmm. got uh, uh, Time Warner, you've and that's got about all it. These- Massive, massive. <laughs> William Randolph Hearst was that powerful, except it was one man. Like right. he owned like 90% of the newspapers across the country. And that's how people got their news. And to piss that guy off. And, and then when that guy goes on a concerted effort to try and shut down the movie, he went to RKO and he said, I will pay you everything that you have uh, spent on this movie. If you destroy the negatives. And RKO almost did it. And eventually they thought, no, we're going to stick with with Wells. And so then it was like game on. Hearst was having his reporters write these newspaper articles about what a disaster this movie is, how horrible this movie is going to be. Then when the movie came out, they they all hated it um, because that's what their boss wanted them to do. So, like I said, the fact that this movie survived, yeah. to me, that says yeah. how good this movie is. Yeah, because com- really, 
does. Commercially, at the box office, I think they lost. They ended up losing 150000 mm-hmm. which at the time was a lot of money. A lot uh, of money, especially for a small studio. I mean... A lot of money to me. I was going to say, at this time, for me, it's still a lot of money. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> but for I'd a take movie studio, um, it, it was a lot of money back then. And... Um, and a lot of that was because of Hearst not running ads for it and it just getting mm-hmm. buried and Hollywood not being behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really kind of miraculous that it has endured the test of time as it has. Um, but the, the William Randolph Hearst thing is interesting. I, I think I've read a story where supposedly Orson Welles was in an elevator with him one time and this was <laughs> after everything was going on and he offered him tickets to go see the show and he said, I, obviously he said no. And as he walked out of the elevator, he shouted after him and said, Charles Foster Kane would have said yes to the tickets. And I, I want to believe that so hard. Yeah. That is complete Orson Welles right there. Yeah. And, and, and this talking about the character, Charles Foster Kane, this was really, I, I think different for the time to have a protagonist in a film that you don't really like by the right. end of the film. Like right. he is the main character. He is who the story is about. Mm-hmm. And when we think about a protagonist, pro is typically like we're for this guy. Yeah. But like this was one of the first times and, and I think it is very similar to social network. You get to the end of the movie and you're like, I don't know that he was really a good guy. Like mm-hmm. he kind of wasn't. And he, I mean, there's one thing about your person being human, but he was so flawed and so egotistical. Like even when he's talking to his wife, that's the singer, Susan, Susan. Mm-hmm. And he's telling her, no, you're going to keep doing your singing lessons. And she's like, no, I hate it. I hate going out there and knowing nobody wants to hear me sing. Nobody wants to see me. And he's like, no, you're going to do it because I'm not going to be made a fool of like right. everything was about him. He didn't care mm-hmm. whether she enjoyed doing it. She was a singer. He was now with her. She was going to be one of the most renowned and best singers in the world. Mm-hmm. And, or mm-hmm. he, I mean, he was going to do everything in his power to make that happen. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, Wells mirrors Kane. Wells ended up at the end of his life being a very shell of what he was and very bitter and very angry about well, how do you his blame life. him? Like, oh, like he absolutely. was, yeah, I mean, back then to yeah, be, no. to not be accepted in, you know, there's been a lot of witch hunts in the film industry for, for now yeah. it trying to be like, so, you know, inclusive and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, it was, it it was more than that. It was, it, you know, if you didn't like what we wanted to do, there's usually three guys that ran everything. And you had, you Mm -hmm. had to, you had to really change your moral compass if you wanted to be a filmmaker Um, Mm -hmm. and not in a good way, like not in the right way. And so if one big guy with money says that this one person isn't welcome here, you're done. Yeah. You know, you're, you're well, done. And that, yeah. I mean, that's comparable to like when Spielberg came up, like mm-hmm. he was this young guy that got taken under a wing and he was given so many things that none of these other filmmakers that were coming up at the same time were getting. And he wasn't liked at first. People right. were like, who is this punk kid yeah. that keeps getting all of these TV shows and these movies? And, you know, he hasn't had to work as hard. Well, that doesn't right. mean that. That just means super talented. So mm-hmm. stop being so butthurt and start doing something good, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and and I think George Lucas had a similar experience coming up where everybody, you know, especially doing Star Wars. And it was like, this yeah. is stupid. This is for kids. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to want to watch this. And then. Yeah. 
And yeah, but the end of his life, I mean, Orson Welles was doing like Notre Dame documentaries. He did a, a voice in the Transformers film. He was doing like bacon commercials. Yeah. I mean, this well, is. Yeah. People talk about, I read something online where somebody said, you know, his life has been compared to like uh, a celebrity's life lived in reverse because he, like where Mm -hmm. he ended up is where a lot of people start out doing really bad commercials for a local wine company Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then by the end, making this masterpiece of a film, but he started that way. Yeah. 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 But one of the things that I love and, and about, and then we talked about with the, with the elevator scene. And why I think that this is true. So Hearst is putting all this pressure on RKO to pull the film. So the studio starts getting nervous. Like, oh, maybe we should go look into this, even though we gave him creative control. And so they would send spies to the set. And Orson Welles told everybody to tell them that what they had shot was test footage. Even though at the very beginning, you have the newsreel mm-hmm. stuff. He was like, no, those are just test pieces. We're just we're just testing and then when they came to the set, he was like, we don't work while they're here because we don't want them to know what's going on. And so they would play softball games. Orson oh, Welles would do like magic tricks to entertain the studio until they left. And then they'd get back to work. I mean, it's just. So they're, the spies are coming back and being like, we don't think they're making any movie. We don't know what they're doing over there, but it's not making a movie. But, but he's a nice guy. So we'll- we're playing softball games. He showed me a magic trick. We don't know what's All happening over there. I can think about is the card trick from Ant Man. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you the the one movie, the one movie I really really wish he would have gotten to make was the one that he actually wanted to do before Citizen Kane, and that's to adapt Joseph Conrad's novel Heart of Darkness. Mm. And he wanted to do it in first person, and I think man that that's one that in an alternate timeline in an alternate universe in the multiverse that movie exists, and I want to see it. But yeah. Yeah, so I think if you break this movie down, um, if you just watch it because you like old movies, you know, you're that person that, and I don't mind slow movies, and I don't mind movies that I have to really pay attention to. I don't mind black and white movies. I don't like. I don't mind movies with subtitles. Really, the only movies I don't like um, are like thrasher, bloody movies, and then the dubbed movies where it doesn't match your lips. I it doesn't yeah. matter how good that movie is. I can't watch it. I'm sorry, but. Um, but I think if you like old movies, I think you'll like this one. I think it does have all of those things, those charming bits and pieces that you liked about storytelling um, in the movies that came out during that time. And as that is, is that they they did spend a lot of time um, bringing you into the life of what they're about to talk about. Yes, they give you a lot of the surroundings. They give you a lot about the character right off the bat. You know, right off the bat, you are pulled into a place where you're trying to understand your surroundings and you you, you get it right away. Um, but I do think if you aren't in to old movies and you're not into that, you are going to have to break this movie down a little bit and, and know what kind of went into the making of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you'll you'll like it a whole lot more because it yeah. was really hard for me to watch this time. Yeah. Even knowing the things that I know it was a lot, it was really hard for me to watch. I think to me, it's, it's very similar to um, reading a lot of fantasy books. Now, a lot of modern fantasy books, which I enjoy. And you know, if, if that's all you've read and somebody says, Hey, go back and read Lord of the Rings, which is a great mm-hmm. masterpiece, yeah. but yeah. it is paced so differently. <laughs> and the amount of exposition that Tolkien does in that book 
is ridiculous and the whole concept of show don't tell that writers are always told is like thrown out the window and this is very <laughs> similar like this is a really really great movie and you have to understand what makes it great but like if you're if you don't like the old movies like you said val yeah you go back and you watch this you're like this is just really boring and I don't get it necessarily. The, and thing, that's... the thing that I love is this is not a plot driven film. This mm. is a character. Study. This is a character study. And we get in his head. And I love, there's a quote from Orson Welles. And he said, one of the reasons that, because the first version of the script was called the American and it was a little bit more generic um, character. And it was about the, the every man who rises to power in America and falls because in America, we love to cheer people on as they're going to the top. Then when they get to the top, we can't wait to see them fall. Mm-hmm. And then we love yeah. to see them come back. You know, that's yeah. how Americans do it. And Orson Welles said, um, one of the things that drew him to this is you cannot sum up a man's life in one word. Right. And he said, you can't even, you can't even do it in one sentence. You can't sum somebody up because people are too complicated. But in the end... In a lot of ways, Rosebud does sum up Wells. It's what makes him tick. He is, Kane is a character who is a sad, scared little boy who got lost along the way and never grew up. Right. And that's what Rosebud is. Rosebud is a longing to go back, even though, and it's, it's fantastic because he did not have an idyllic childhood. Like his mother, holy cow, that woman is stern. Yeah. Like Charles. <laughs> yeah. Screaming at him because he's out playing in the snow. But oh, and like and, no, and no mushy goodbye the when they take him away. She's like, Yeah, I've had his bags packed for a week. He's ready to yeah. take him. Mm-hmm. I've had him packed for a week now. Mm-hmm. And, but and and but if that is the like the best moment of his life, and I think a lot of times when you have childhood, you have that idyllic childhood, even even if it's not idyllic to what everybody else was you still have fond memories for it. You know, you still have that, that pullback to it, but I just love this slow unlayering. And I love the fact that we learn about Kane, not by not by his point of view. We learn about Kane from all the people who loved him, who hated him, people yeah. that he was rival with. I mean, that to me is very interesting storytelling. Well, and I think the, the, that moment, I don't know if he looks at it as the greatest moment in his life or the best moment in his life. But I, I think it's more it's of a innocence. that was the moment before, like, I think it was the worst moment in his life when he had no control over what was happening to him. And he I think he's trying to compensate through through the rest of his life that he has to control everything, because in that moment where he finds out he's being shipped away from his family, his home, everything that he's ever known, and there's nothing he can do about it, which is such a strange concept that like, oh, we came into this money and so we're shipping our son away and like mm-hmm. he's just going to be gone. And he had no control over that. So he's going back to the moment before that when everything changed Uh and he's just remembering that one moment. And I think, but that's what drives him to, that's why he's collecting all the art. That's why he is making his wife a star singer, regardless of what she wants. That's, I mean, he tells them, you know, there's many times where he says like, I tell the people what they're going to think and what they're Mm -hmm. going to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that constant wanting to get control because from that moment on, he was he never going to not have control of his life again. Yeah. Absolutely. You nailed it, Jake. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Well, all right then. Uh, I guess we'll just wrap up the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but I, I, I think that the acting is, is fat, fabulous in this movie. Um, I love Jedediah Leland. Yes. The scene where the, the penultimate scene when Jedediah, when Kane has lost the election and everything is just crumbling in on him and he goes back and he finds his former best friend drunk and passed out at the typewriter and he had started to write a bad notice in the paper and Kane's like, I'm going to finish it. And he finishes it exactly like how Leland started it. And they have that conversation and, and he's drunk, you know, he's still drunk and he's confronting Kane, um, the actor and his name slips me all of a sudden, but he stayed up for 24 hours before filming that scene because he felt like that would make it a little bit more feeling Mm -hmm. like he was drunk. And he actually stumbles on the word criticism. I think it's criticism. He stumbles on the word and then, Orson Welles liked it so much. He improv the line of, I think you mean this. And then they ran with it. And so that was just a total mistake. But that, that scene. And the, the, the other thing, man, talk just the cinematography, you could spend an entire hour on just the cinematography. But one of the things that they did that's so interesting and it's done, it's pretty standard now, but at the time it wasn't done. Everything was always shot. eye level. The camera Mm -hmm. was always eye level. And with Kane, whenever we're looking at Kane, we have a low angle looking up at him because then he looks more imposing. He looks taller. He looks like he's in control of the frame. He's towering over you. And especially when he confronts Susan, when she stands up to him and he he yells at her, they have a reverse shot where it's like a steep high angle looking down on her, showing how small she is, showing how frightened she is. Um, and, and it grows throughout the film. As the film progresses, those angles get more and more extreme. At the very beginning, when he's a young man just starting off in the newspaper business, it's very much at that eye level because he's kind of the the fun guy who's just getting his life together. And then it just progresses in these camera angles. And it's it's something that psychologically you recognize and you feel it emotionally, but you don't absolutely like notice it at the time. Yeah. So, well, I think Tracy yeah. could go on for an hour. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, sure. he taught he taught classes on this, so I'm intrigued. Like, I'm here thinking, am I going to be tested later? But this oh. is really cool. This is really neat. Like, I mean, I remember le- learning a lot of the same stuff, but I don't know that my, I mean, my film teacher at USC that he was pretty cool that talked to us about this, but. Um, he also, I think this is what's funny is my film professor at USC that did this specific class mm-hmm. also was a little bit like the main character of this movie. Mm. Um, like he was, um, he would name drop people and <laughs> he would, he was way more important. You know what I mean? Like it was, mm-hmm. and you're going to think this and this, and I kind of push those boundaries. I know that's weird. That sounds that's so wild. As, a, as, that's as, a 17, yeah. as a 17 year old girl, I still was exactly about pushing the boundaries and not doing um, what I, what, what was expected of me, I guess, whatever mm-hmm. anybody expected a 17 year old girl from Utah to make, I did not make those movies in film school. Um, <laughs> And I surprised him a lot, but he, he did um, give me the respect of this film that it was about pushing boundaries. And Mm -hmm. so I would kind of throw Mm -hmm. that back in his face a few times. Um, 
But yeah, so I think that you or your class may have been a little more fun than mine, although I giggled every time he would say like the first name of like a major director or actor, like they were best friends. And maybe they were. Maybe they were. Yeah, Steven. Yeah. Steven. But that's when you do it, it's an inside joke that we all laugh at because right. we know that it's funny. But <laughs> But when I mean, it's serious, it's not meet, fun anymore. We did meet a lot of filmmakers from the industry in that class. So he could very well know these people, right? Mm-hmm. But it was just really funny for me. So it kind of reminded me when I was watching the movie and I would kind of look at him, I was like, hmm. <laughs> I can see why you like this movie so much, <laughs> Professor But Wells. I mean, when it comes to, you know, the thing that we spent a lot of time as, as well, because as a um, new filmmaker, especially the biggest thing that they want you to do is to map out your shot. Mm-hmm. And so you have to draw out, you know, here's your scene, where's your lighting, where's your camera. Right. And we had to draw that out scene by scene, which is tedious. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, we didn't have a computer to do it on back then. We had to do it by hand. That's how old I am. I'm um, just kidding, Tracy. I know that makes you feel older, but, um, but I was just sitting here thinking, wow, you are old. Just kidding. Yeah. I wasn't. No, I mean, we had computers, but like we had to do, here's your paper, you know, here you gotta, you gotta draw everything out. This is what a square means. This is what a circle means like on the shot. Mm-hmm. And, and for this film, it was okay. Freeze frame. Where's the light? Where's the camera going? Because in this, film um being black and white it was a lot easier to find that spot but right. not to know where they were going because he didn't follow logistics of what Legible. filmmaking was at the time and so you mm-hmm. could say okay the camera's here and it's i think he's going to pan but he goes through right you know and right. his lights and you're thinking that his light and so it was really interesting to think of what the science was of where the, how the lighting was in this film um, because they were trying so many different things that we could sit there and talk about. I didn't know you could do it that way. You know, I, and, and this was a movie made way before we, you oh, know, yeah. had, had um, ever thought about making a film, you know? And so it was interesting that way. You brought up a great point earlier is there was no, there's no previs. So you weren't seeing the film on a computer screen before nope. you even shot a frame, which mm-hmm. they can do now. And they didn't have monitors. They're mm-hmm. shooting on film. And so you've got to shoot the film. You've got to. You've got to know. Like you've got to know. You've got to have that down because if, but if, if you shoot on film and then you project it onto a screen, if your focus is off by the, by the hair yep. on some of these shots, it's going to be hugely magnified on this screen. And you're putting the, you're loading the camera in and out in a black bag. That's, that's light proof. You're sending it off to a lab to get processed. You're hoping the lab doesn't screw anything up. Then they yeah. send it back to you. So you don't know what you shot for at least three to five days. Yeah. And you keep going. And-, and we had we had to use this film as because we had to do like a project for the end, right? That right. we had to shoot on actual film. I did six. Um, and I helped um write the script and then I helped edit the movie, but of uh-huh. course everybody wanted to direct. So we had like freaking two directors and like all yeah. this stuff. I'm like, whatever I'll help. I mean, I helped mold it. I helped write it with this guy and we both edited it. And a lot of the things we had to do was focus on lighting and focus on your pull focus. We had to pull focus and you don't know, like, I'm just hoping right. that this director and this guy with the, ca- well, girl with the camera um, 
understood that as you pull focus for certain shots, you not only have to pull the focus, you have to move your camera back or Mm -hmm. forward. And in this film, again, you can, you can say, okay, let's just take this 10 minutes of this film and talk about the technical aspects of it. And that's why I respect it so much Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you can learn how to do things from this film. And then of course we shot our film, which was only like eight minutes. So I couldn't imagine you know, doing, it took us two days on the universal back lot to shoot this film. And it didn't, I mean, it, the story sucked, but the, it actually turned (laughs) out, you know, it was a little overexposed, but it worked with the story that we were doing. But again, you're just crossing your fingers because now we're like, okay, shoot it. We're watching it, replay it. Okay. Do it again. But if you, when you're doing film, we didn't have time to go back. We were screwed. Like we can't go back to universal. I, I had one where I shot, um, for an entire day, and the film used to go through a little gate that would be right in front of the lens. I did not have it all the way over because, again, you're doing this like Neil in the dark. Yeah. So half of my picture is just blown out and overexposed. Yep. And I couldn't use any of it. And that costs like 250 bucks. Yeah. Like, that sucked, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you really, it's no joke back then, like a- making a movie because you're spending so much money. Um, you know, now we're spending money on special effects and right. all it's this other post. stuff, but we know, you know, we've got 70 people to work on that where, right. you know, and you know what you've got once you shoot. it. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, I, for that, the technical aspects and what you can learn from this film, um, I respect it. I do also, I do like the story. It is, um, mm-hmm. It is very compelling. And Jake, like you said, there were so many moments about um, about his life and how he became who he was with all of these very vulnerable moments that he doesn't Mm -hmm. like to actually acknowledge as being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's a dynamic story and it's a technical marvel that we still keep learning from. But to me, it was still really really hard to watch. <laughs> and, and to me, this is a movie I could, I could just watch because I find the characters so fascinating. Um, I just think it's funny that it's this one in Sharknado. Like it's just, <laughs> I, I, I have not gone back and watched Sharknado. It was, it was the experience of watching it with other people who were in a silly mood that made that uh-huh. movie. Like yeah. I couldn't watch it by myself. Would you but, watch it with Orson Welles? Oh, dude, I would so watch Sharknado with Orson Welles in a heartbeat. Can you imagine the dialogue? With <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch you watching Sharknado with Orson See, I'm Welles. Telling you, which Orson Welles? Would it be like young Orson Welles from Citizen nope. Kane or, nope. or Orson Welles from like the Muppets movie? I think yep. both. I think you should have the 23-year-old Orson Welles <laughs> with like all of the ideas and then the old grouchy one. Like you should all be there. And I think I think they would be totally on board with watching a movie with themselves. Like, oh, I get to watch it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm on, that sounds great. <laughs> Perfect. But the, the, the other thing, like I said earlier, when you are learning about this character from all these different people's point of view, like Susan – the story with, with Wells and Susan ends with her leaving and going out to the, to the car um, and, and leaving him. And that's kind of like her triumphant moment. And we don't see his reaction until later in the movie, when the Butler is telling the story, Raymond 
Um, and that's when we see him go into this fit of rage Mm -hmm. and that acting to be a 24 year old guy acting like you're an old man who is just losing his shit. Pardon the, pardon the, the term, but he's going nuts and he's ripping shells down and he's throwing pictures and, but he doesn't, the physicality of it, you still believe that he's an old man. Mm-hmm. Like, and because it's not over exaggerated, but it's there. Like so many times when you're younger, you do the, I'm an old man type of, you know, it's just so over the top. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to do that, the, the fact that I love this story, the makeup artist was, he, he hired the makeup artist who was the um, floor, um, the, the, the cleaner, basically, it was kind of the janitor um, in the, in the makeup department. And he hired him because he saw that he was playing around with latex and Mm -hmm. nobody had done latex before. So they did prosthetics Mm -hmm. to make Kane older instead of just makeup. And it's, it's that kind of out of the box thinking like, you know what, you're doing something cool. I want to work with you in order to make this movie. Even though really old Leland did not look very great. No, no. (laughs) But early prosthetics. So yeah. But, but to me, this is so watchable to watch this guy who has this, this, rise and the fall and the power that he tries to exert over people and how he just is grasping at everything and can't do it and everything falls apart at the end and he's just this old man living alone in a mansion and then he dies and they're just taking away his stuff in crates like Mm -hmm. there there is so much in that story and and that's the thing like we said if if you don't have that story coupled with the technical achievements it doesn't, it doesn't last. It doesn't stand the test of time. Yeah. I, I do think that it's interesting when you talk about the character himself. And one of the things that I kept thinking is, you know, this movie was made back in the forties and how much of this is still applicable. How, you know, yeah. when you think of demagogues in our society, not that we've had any recently in any kind of prominent position, but when we think about them, <laughs> Like how similar is it to this same story of I'm going to control everything Mm -hmm. and then they end up with nothing in the end. And anyway, there was a lot of things that I thought about as I watched it. It made me think. And I think that that's a great thing, especially Mm -hmm. for a movie that you're talking about is 70 years old or no, 80 years old at this point. 80 years, 80, 80 this year. Yeah. It's the 80th anniversary. So with all of that being said, what do we give as a grade? And I, I almost feel wrong asking for a grade on a movie like Citizen Kane, but we're going to because that's what we do on the show. So <laughs> yeah. let's let's start with you, Tracy. I know you're excited. About we all this know one. where I'm going with yeah. this. We all know how this is going to end up. But to me, this is this marries the technical. It marries the creative. It marries the dramatic story. The musical score is fantastic. I mean, this level, this movie is, is filmmaking. It's just, it's just sublime. And I think in, I I try really, really, really hard not to be a film snob because I was, when I came out of film school, I was a film snob and I looked down on all these other movies, but to me, this is one rewatching it this weekend. I was in love with it as much as I was when I was teaching it. And I was in love with it as much as I was when I first saw it, when I first saw it, I had never, I didn't get any background. I was just, we were exposed to the film and then we talked about it. And I remember going, I don't think I get this movie, but I like it. And that made me interested in learning more. And that's just deepened my appreciation for it. To me, this is the 
if if not the greatest, it is it's dang well at the top. It better be number two. If you're gonna if you're gonna unseat it, it better be number two. Um, I, this is an A plus for me. This is a home run. Uh, this is one that even today I could I could watch and enjoy. Um, it just it resonates with me. What about you, Val? Um, I like I said, I respect the movie. There's a lot that you can learn from the movie. Um, to me, it's not an A plus. Um, sorry, Tracy. That's okay. Um, but to me, it's a B. Um, I I definitely um understand why it's so important i understand why people say that it's the best movie ever made to me it has reasons to be but i don't feel like it's the best movie ever made but i definitely respect what it means what it has done and what you can learn from it and a b from you is still a really solid grade yeah i think watching this movie um and, and it is available to stream right now on HBO Max. So if you have that, it is available there. Um, but yeah, th- this movie, I, I think, is up there. Last week when we talked about Paddington and we, Tracy and I both gave Paddington and Paddington 2 an A. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about, it. it's a great movie, but is it film? And when you talk about a movie being film or cinema, um, I do think that, you know, Citizen Kane is, is in that realm, obviously. Um, where there's just something more to it than just the movie and the story on the screen. And um, I think for that reason, for me, this gets an A. I I don't know. It would be hard for me to say I'm going to go back and watch it again, like next week or something like that. It's not one that like, you know, I think I'm really just it's in Friday the mood night. to sit down and watch Citizen Kane. Like I want to unwind. <laughs> I'm going to throw this on. But that's not what this movie is. And I get that. And so mm-hmm. for me, it's still an A. I think it's amazing. It's really, really well done. Um, and I do think rightfully so if you're into movies and you're into film, this is one that you have to see at least once to have that experience. And, and even, even if it. you just watch it in order to be able to understand the old Simpsons jokes, yeah. <laughs> a lot of jokes about this movie. If, um, if for nothing else to understand the Simpsons, obviously that's you know, reason enough. One of my favorite it is, and I'm talking early Simpsons. I'm talking like the first eight, nine years because it's been on for like 35 years now, but um, there's a scene where uh, Mr. Burns is clutching his teddy bear and it is shot for shot, like the beginning of Citizen Kane. And he's like, uh, you know, and, and drops the teddy bear on the floor. And, and so then he says, um, they have a flashback to when he's a kid and he's out in the, out in the snow. And he's like, la, 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 la. You know, it's this little Mr. Burns. And yeah. he's like, um, his mom calls him over and she's like, would you like to stay here with your loving, caring family? Or would you like to go live with this loveless, cruel billionaire? And boom, he gets in the car and he pulls on sunglasses. He's like, let's roll. (laughs) There's some great stuff. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. There's, there's citizen Kane next week. We will be doing our staff picks. um, And for the month of July, we're going to be talking about some great movies. I think that where you're getting together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reuniting movies. Reuniting yes. movies. Bringing the band back together. Yeah, because <laughs> we are bringing the band back together starting next week, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I'm just going to say right now, none of us should be able to choose Endgame. We've already talked about it, but it is one of the best reunited movies. It is. Yeah, it's fantastic. It but we've already done an episode on Endgame, so we're not going to yeah, pick that Yeah, so one. we're throwing that out there. You can go back and listen to our episode on Endgame. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I believe it was something McMahon boobs, I think was the name. Of that. <laughs> it was McMahon boobs. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. You're right. We did it in the uh, yes. MPU. 
So <laughs> anyway, you know, can I just say thank you guys for for talking about a film like this? I mean, I love the fact that we talk about these fun and silly movies a lot of times. I mean, Jake and I covered Clifford. You know, I mean, we, we yeah, we Jeff, did. We've come a long way from Clifford to Citizen no. Kane. <laughs> but I love the fact that we're taking this like serious movie and really getting into the nuts and bolts, and yet still talking about the humanity of it. It's not just the technical yeah. side yeah. of it, you know. That's and, what we do, right? But I, I just, I really appreciative, appreciative. Yeah that you two agreed to to do this one. Cause this to me, this is like Alan Cerny's Lord of the Rings. Like yeah. Citizen Kane to me is like my, my, my high point. What you don't know is that because you chose this movie, you don't get to pick any movies for a year. So I hope you liked your pick. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I stand by my decision. You know, but that's one of the things that I, I do really appreciate about our show and, and the movies that we've picked is we have really, picked a lot of very different movies and very diverse mm-hmm. movies um, as far as just different genres and things like that. And I think that that's awesome. Really. I mean, if you go back through our catalog of episodes, we're on episode <laughs> 108 right now, you're going to find something for everyone. And there are so many different movies out there. We just want good movies to talk about and sometimes not good movies to talk about. We'll do that. I too. have gotten so many messages over the last couple of weeks about our bird movie um yeah. when we like because a lot of people just have never heard of that movie and mm. i'm so glad that we talked about it that was one for me like i'm glad you guys let me pick me. that movie because but like uh, several people have messaged me and said i i love that episode so much i knew nothing about that movie i oh, probably cool. wouldn't have watched it if i heard who was in it yeah. you know because it's just you know but yeah that that good year that movie was That's it was really cool. I love that. Um, I was glad that we watched it because my my wife's brother just got engaged and uh, the his fiance is a big birder. Oh, nice! And so when she was saying that, I said, "Oh, so have you ever done a big year?" Like I knew a little bit, like enough to sound like I knew a little bit about what she does. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then it, she starts talking a different language. And you're yeah. like, hold on. Like, I, like uh, this was no, not no. covered in the Jack Black movie. Like when you say one thing in Spanish and then somebody like jumps out like right. a whole yeah. conversation. Oh, yeah. But a big year if you haven't seen that. And that episode is one of my favorites as well. Yeah. That, that and that's was a lot one of fun. That was always on my list, but I had just never had an impetus to see kind of like Paddington too last week. You know, uh, yeah. that was, I had heard good things, but I just had never watched it. So yeah, yeah it's been fun. Did. It's been fun to kind of discover some of these movies too, because like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, anyway, it's been a great time that we've been doing this remotely. I'm so glad to get back together and do it together in person. It will be a lot of fun. I, yeah. I think I've got most of the technical stuff figured out so we can continue to do video. We'll Yay. see. It might all fall apart, but we'll give it a try. We'll try. We'll, we'll figure it out. But thank you everybody for listening. Please go to our YouTube channel like this video, subscribe, um, leave comments that helps others find it. Um, and, uh, follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we always appreciate a follow and a like there as well. If you have feedback for us, send it to podcast at movies that make us.com. And, uh, until next time we won't see you at the movies. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.